Matthew 4. So we're now in this, this next section of being like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus in his devotion. Um, he knew who he was, right? Um, he was devoted to the Father, but we, we, we have to remember when we're looking at his devotion that he was 100% man. So we're looking at 100% man, Jesus, right? The 100% man who, who did not, you know, who could have used God-like powers, but um, he only used them by the power of the Holy Spirit when uh, it was permitted or, or the right time. So in verse, in verse 1, he was led, Matthew 4 verse 1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led there. So, so it wasn't that it was, uh, something that he desired to do. It was something that he was led to do. He was led into the wilderness by, uh, the Holy Spirit. Satan would meet him there to tempt him. God cannot be tempted. So here's Jesus, the man. And when you go through the temptations, you know, there's the, uh, we know there's the bread in the beginning and, and he was hungry, right? He was hungry. And yet, I'll come back and talk about that later in the next segment of this. Um, then there's the temptation of his pride. We, we get that, you know, if you, your feet will never touch the ground. I want us to key in on verse 8 though. Okay? Through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And I want us to think about that for just a moment. What is so glorious about the world that causes us to stand in awe of it and not so much as a comparison in awe of the Creator who's greater than it? So this temptation is the temptation that, that maybe many, if not all of us, have gone through or go through. The idea of, of you know, getting a home and a car and, and living life and having stuff, right? And he went through that temptation of stuff, but even greater than that, having all the glory. And so there's this element of glory that is... Uh, in the world or that the world possesses that draws us in as humans. It draws us in. And it, it's our eyes. The eyes are never full of seeing, right? Um, it's covetousness. It's it's all this stuff that draws us in to the world. Because we are physical beings. We live in a physical world. And we need physical things. And so we're drawn in uh, and enticed by more. right? More or or, or, you know, the things that we have are, are moth-eaten and rust-destroyed, and so we need to replace them, and we need to... There's all this stuff that draws us in. And Jesus, devoted to the Father, verse 9, He said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So there had to be something about what Satan showed Jesus, the glory. That, that would have drawn any one of us in. As it drew him in. But Jesus had this 
tremendous love for the Father to where he kept things in the proper perspective. See, I think our perspective is reversed if you, if you really think about it, right? It's, um, do, do I pattern my day? Let's, let's just say Wednesday, Wednesday. Do I pattern my Wednesday so that everything fits that allows me to get here? Or do I just end up here at the end of the day? You know, is it, is it a part of my, my plan throughout my, my day? And Jesus, everything in life fit because God was number one, right? Every, everything else was, was second or third or whatever, but, but God was number one. And so everything else had to fit. And if it didn't fit, it's like trying to put a piece of a puzzle together. And if it doesn't fit, it didn't force it and didn't settle with it. It didn't fit. And so all the world and all of its glory it doesn't fit. So Jesus says in verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Nothing was allowed to interfere with his relationship with God. So think about how Jesus thought every day, every moment of the day. Everything had to fit into the relationship with the Father. And if it didn't fit, he walked away from it. It was a temptation though, right? Just like our temptations, the Bible says in Hebrews 2 and in Hebrews 4, that he was tempted like us. He came to our aid. Turn to John chapter 6. His devotion. I, I, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. You know, another man. Jesus the man. Job the man. Brethren, it is very possible for us to have this devoted relationship with God that to where everything in life fits with God alone. And then if it doesn't fit, we should be able to walk away from it. Right? It's like we were, I was having this discussion, teaching a class a few years ago, and the, and the discussion was if you were offered a job, and they were, they were going to give you millions for the job. But the only problem was, it was an obligation for X number of years, millions of dollars. That was the promise. No problem at all. But it was going to make you lose your soul. Because there's no church in the area. Very few people. And you're already not evangelistic as it is. So don't think you're going to start a church in your area, right? And you're not going to Zoom because Zoom doesn't exist or whatever. Um, streaming. Would you take that job? Does it fit in giving glory to God? Right? Think about that. I might lose my soul for it. Is it worth it? So this idea of all the kingdoms and all of the glory, it didn't fit. He was devoted to the Father and the Father alone, to the Godhead. John 6 and verse 38. 38 says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom He's, I'm sorry, I'm in the, I'm in the wrong, the wrong scripture. You're, you're, she panics when I, when I do that. Let me just stay there for a minute. 
just to have her pants. If it doesn't fit, right? She's like, that doesn't fit. Now you understand what I was... So maybe that was a part of the lesson tonight, right? No. Okay, it wasn't. All right, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So now, the puzzle. God and God first in all things and God's will, right? God in all things and the will of God. Not, not my will, but the will of God. God number one and and then the will of God in my life and everything else in life must fit into that devotional piece of my life. My devotion is to God alone. Jesus, his devotion was to God alone. Everything had to fit within that, that, um, that design of life for him. And if it didn't fit, he was able to walk away. Even from worldly prosperity, even from worldly gain, it didn't hold him, right? It didn't hold him. Look at chapter 14 and verse 30. John 14 and verse 30. There the Bible says, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go from here. So, recognition. There's the enemy. He's, he's not our friend. If an enemy gives you a package, your first thought might be, is this a bomb? <laughs> you know, what is this, right? You gotta recognize the enemy. Do we recognize that there is an enemy? The enemy? And that destruction is, is on their minds. I say there because you have the devil, his angels, you have the world. Right? Trying to pull us away from God. How many times have you spoken to someone and they said, you can miss one Sunday, can't you? Let's go fish or let's go hunt or let's, right? And you go, I'm, no, I, no, I cannot. And no, I will not, right? It doesn't fit. It's gotta, it has to fit. And so, and so here, he, he recognizes the enemy and, and then he says, the Father gave me a commandment. So, so it has to fit with God first. And then the will of God in my life and the commandment of God. What is, what is God's commandment for, not for me, but for the world, even for the church? Does the commandment of God and the will of God and putting God first, does it fit into the design or the pattern of my life? Did I, did I pattern, have I patterned my, my Saturday to ensure that the things that I do are preparing me for my Sunday, which is the first day of the week, right? So that, that you know, barring any health and, and those kinds of things, so that I can be here, right? And not the excuse that my pinky hurts. That's probably not a good one, a valid one, right? Does it fit? That's We're talking about devotion. Christ was tremendously devoted we're going to talk about his mission in a moment and, and, and his prayer life. But right now, he was devoted to God. He was devoted. He was committed. 
sometimes I wonder, church, how, how devoted, how committed, how converted some of us are, right? Look at, look at Mark uh, chapter 12. That the conversion, the commitment, the devotion, because in reality, there's actually, when you compare uh, or, or you think about our relationship, there actually is nothing else, right? What could we compare God to? Nothing. <laughs> there's nothing to compare God to. There's, I mean, there's nothing. And, I, and I've asked the question many times, um, if, if not here tonight, or, or not here on Sunday, or not here on Sunday evening, if not here, where? Right? Where? Where would I be? And, and in that place that I find myself, why am I there? And is that place so important so glorifying that it was greater than God and I needed to be there. No, right? There's nothing. There's nothing to be compared to God. So Jesus in his devotion, he had that in his mind. There's nothing in this world that you can compare to God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I put the challenge out there, you know, on Soldatna. I said, okay, I challenge you. Not because I'm the preacher. Don't come to me because I'm the preacher and say, oh, yeah, there's nothing. I challenge you. Tell me what is more, I said this on Sunday morning. Tell me what is more, so important and so glorifying and so wonderful and so awesome and so, so much greater than God that you're not going to come back tonight. <laughs> what did you put or what are you going to put in its place? Right? And then when you're at home tonight, think about what you put in the place of God for one hour. Because it was so glorifying. It was so wonderful. It was so great. It was so heaven-filled that even God himself said, that's where you ought to be. What answer could you give? Right? And so I put that to us as well. What is more important or glorifying or great or awesome than our God? Answer, nothing. So Jesus in his devotion ensured that nothing ever took the place of God. Also, there was nothing in the mind of Jesus that could ever take the place of God. So let's think about that for a moment. He knows about everything as far as the glory. And he couldn't find anything. And he made heaven, prepared a place, and is there, and was there, and has been there for the days of eternity. And he's telling us, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. So he lived a sinless life. Because there was nothing that was more valuable or important or able to be or receive a glory greater than God. We could listen to him. We could look at his example. We could believe him. Or we could say maybe he doesn't know. Right? 
And so the commandment of God, in verse, verse 28 of Mark 12, and one of the scribes came and heard him arguing, recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart and a little of your soul and with a piece of your mind and with a little bit of your strength. And that's the foremost commandment of all, right? You don't have to give him everything, come on, right? That's not, Jesus didn't mean that when he said that. When I know yours says all, but that's not what he meant. You ever heard people say that? You know, that's not what the Bible means, right? I don't think that's what it says. Does God expect all? Or does he expect some? Or does he expect a little? Or does he expect, what, what does God really want from us? Well, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it says, it says all, you shall love the Lord your God Should I read that again? Because, <laughs> right? I mean, he's telling us something, isn't he? We're talking about putting the pieces of the puzzle together in devotion. That, that here, you know, God, here, you know, there's all the glory of God and, and all the devotion to God and, and all of our, uh, you know, the pieces of the puzzle have to fit and the will of God and the commandment of God and all these things. And, and I'm looking at this scripture and God is saying, look, I want, I don't want some of you. I don't want a piece of you. I want all. Now, is that fair? <laughs> right? Someone said, man, God's not fair. Right? They said that. You know, it's in the Bible, right? <laughs> God's not fair. He wants everything. Yeah, he does. Because what he's going to give us, not only what he's going to give us, what he's already given us, right? He created the, the whole world and he said, here, you know, when you read Genesis chapter 1, what did he say? All of this I give to you. He said, I gave you everything that I could give you on the earth. Now I want you to love me back. I want all of you. Because I got something greater for you. Right? So get your devotion right. Because I've got something so great, so amazing, so wonderful that I'm giving it to you now. And then you'll realize it later. Because once you're a Christian, you never die. Right? You just transition. Right? So he says, I want all. Verse 30 again. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All of your strength. How many of us are willing to do that? Maybe, I'll, maybe we ought to do this again on Sunday morning. And then do it again. On, and then we'll just do this over and over again. Because we got to realize that God is asking for our devotion. Right? He wants all of... Well, he said, well, you know, well, let, can you give me an example, a preacher, of where, where I have to give it all? Yeah, marriage. <laughs> How about that? There's nothing to be compared. Because that's your wife or your husband. And there's no one else. All. Right? Can we give everything to God? What do you think? Can we do it? So it's not a challenge. It's a commandment. Right? In, in our devotion. And then the foremost, the, the second greatest commandment in verse 31 is this. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. None. 
And you know why that's so, so beautiful? Because I don't really have a problem loving myself. <laughs> what about your neighbor? Right. Who is my neighbor? <laughs> Lawyers ask that question. Right? Try to get out of love. Trying to get out of loving everybody. Right? Okay. Devotion. One more, one more scripture. John 5 and verse 19. So put this together. John 5 and verse 19. The devotion of Jesus was so wonderful and so great and so amazing that his devotion alone can be compared to no other human being that's ever lived on the face of the earth. So verse 19, Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. But whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So so we haven't seen the Father, but we see Jesus. We watch him live in a, in a world of, uh, let's see, um, his life. See, he had, he was rich. And he was, and he had the luxuries of life, and it was easy for him. And he lived in a mansion on earth, and he didn't have any, well, he was always at peace, it was great. And he didn't have any problems, and he didn't suffer, and he didn't struggle, right? And he didn't have, oh, that's the wrong man, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. He had every thing that we can think of that's bad in his life. So that he could show us, that, brethren, as bad as this life can be, it's not everything. <laughs> it's not the end. And even my life isn't worth me missing heaven for. My own life? Yeah, even my own soul. So Jesus showed us. He showed us everything I see the Father do. He showed us how to live righteous in, a, in an unrighteous world. He showed us how to live with justice. He showed us how to live as, as a people with, that shows equity, a people that, that lives properly, that lives in righteousness, that follows God, that lives for God, that loves God. And He showed us what inner peace really looked like. Because though He suffered in the flesh, He had inner peace. And then he said, uh, John fourteen twenty seven, I believe it is, the peace I leave with you, not like the world leaves, right? I'm going to give you a peace. That, in other words, what God is saying is the peace that I'm going to give you is a peace that will hold you together and strong even in the midst of a chaotic world. But you've got to be dedicated, right, to see it. Because it's not, it's not about going through it. It's about seeing it. Like an artist, an artist can see the end, the end game, the end picture, right? When he starts his drawing, he can, he, or his painting, he sees the beginning, he envisions it. He has a goal and he begins to entertain that goal and he's able to shift as he goes through and it's pretty amazing. We have to be able to see things from a spiritual perspective, right? From a spiritual vantage point. Instead of looking at the physical and the flesh, because boy, that's, that's tough. You gotta see the spiritual. Remember Second Corinthians 5, I think it is about verse 17, where he talks about seeing things, you know, we no longer see each other in the flesh, but we see each other in the spirit, right? You see the spiritual things. All things are new. We see the spirit things. Are you looking at spirit things, or are we looking at physical things? 
Jesus was looking at spirit things. Because he says, everything I see the Father do, that's what I do. Right? He emulated the Father. His devotion was amazing. And why was he devoted? Because he loved the Father, number one. And what was number two? Because he loved us. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you, God. Okay. Now, there's something that, that, that I realize when I study the life of Jesus, right? I realize this. If Jesus had to pray a lot, do you think maybe just three times or two times a day is enough for me? Maybe that's part of the struggle that we might have in this life. Maybe we don't pray as, I'll just say me, I don't pray as often as I should. You know, to be able to be committed to prayer, well, let's look at Jesus. Luke chapter 6. To be committed to prayer, to to not only thank God in prayer, but to be committed to prayer, to be devoted to prayer, just devotion, prayer, 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 live a little, pray a little, live a little, pray a little, live a little, pray a little, right? And just keep on praying throughout the day. How many of us, don't, have, don't raise your hands, pray continuously? Throughout the day. And there's a little bit of, ah, oh, blew it again. And then there's a little bit, oh, thank you, God. And then there's some, please help me. You know, all through the day, right? Praying and praying and praying. And then you're about to make that phone call to someone. Maybe, maybe you know, it's not, you don't know how it's going to go. And pray first and pray while the phone's ringing. And they pick up and, okay, here we go, right? Pray when you get out of the bed. Pray as you're walking through your, I mean, pray, 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 pray. It's a lot of praying. Jesus did that, didn't he? He'd pray all night. Look at Luke 6, verse 11. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And I don't know about you, but I could see my prayer be like, Lord, they're trying to figure out what to do to me. But um, you know, I came to save them. I'm kind of thinking maybe this isn't worth it, you know. And maybe um, what, what's our plan of action, God? Do we go back down there and, and do we confront them? I mean, how do I deal with this? You know, now that's not the kind of prayer that Jesus is praying because he was devoted to his, and we'll get there in a moment, Lord willing, his mission, right? And the mission at this point was, I don't have to worry about them. I'm doing the will of the Father. So in verse 13, when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Notice, he didn't even go back to them. He went on with the mission. But he needed prayer to make the right decisions, to get his mind focused, right, on what he was about to do, and then to go back out there and to do God's work, and 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 to choose these men as disciples, and to be an example for them, and to get them going, and to keep them strong, while keeping himself strong. Pretty amazing. John 17. John 17, he prayed, this is the Lord's Prayer, the whole chapter, you go read it over and over and over again, but when you when you pray this, this Lord's, uh, if you, 
when you look at this Lord's Prayer, rather, and you think about the Lord's Prayer, think about what he was saying to the Father. In the book of John now, and this as it's recorded here, as he's now nearing the end of his life. And in verse 1, these things Jesus spoke and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. You know what he's talking about, right? It's here. They're about to execute me. They're about to, I'm about to go through a, what is it, a day and a half of, of torture. Right? They got him through the night. They tortured him through the night into the day. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that the son may, be, may glorify thee. Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I absolutely love that verse. Because, you know, we're, we're you know, what is that song or whatever it's a saying? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but not today, right? You're already living in eternal life, brethren. You know why? Because it, you're alive. You're never going to die. I mean, we're going to transition, right? We're going to die physically, as we call it death, as the Bible calls it death, in this life. But you're going you're gonna to close your eyes in this life and wake up in eternity, right? You're, Jesus said, he who believes in me shall never die. He'll live even if he dies. And so what Jesus is telling us is that what, what we enjoy right now, this thing called life, the mind, the soul, the, the, the he and she whom you are is just going to transition and you will just continue on. And so eternal life is to know the Father, right? And so right now we are living in eternal life and we're just going to transition from this old place to another home. And so this is confidence that God is, is giving to us. And now he's talking about being glorified. Um, verse uh, 4, I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do, and now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so Satan showed in the world in all of his glory, and he says, Father, give me back the glory. He left that glory, right, to be here as a humble servant for us, and he was at that hour. At that moment. And you know the rest of the account as you read on and, and, and the Bible says he went up to the garden to pray and, and there, you know, this, you know, the, the, the sweat was coming down so profusely, like those, you know, the veins, if you will, the capillaries have opened up and it was like blood drops coming down from his face and, and what an amazing struggle. And yet, and yet as he thought about the hour coming, he, he kept things in perspective and jumped all the way down to verse 14. In verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, to keep, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I want you to think about just for a moment. And he talks about, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. So, so imagine just for a moment that every... This is maybe a hyper, hyperbolic statement, but in the case of humans, but everybody hates me. Everybody. I mean, 
Think about growing up as a young man and everyone was against you. I mean, how many teenagers, I mean, look at today. Today there's, I mean, sadly, so much suicide today, right? Almost glorified in some places. Can't handle the pressures, the stress of life. What if, what if, what if we came here and it was like the okay corral every Sunday? Everybody hated everybody, right? And you come back next Sunday and you just keep coming. Well, okay, I know it's, that's maybe a little dramatic, but think about Jesus. He's telling us here, he's indicating to us in his, in his teaching that the whole world was against him. His own brothers didn't believe in him, right? The apostles struggled a bit. They were believing, 12 men. Judas was pilfering from the money bag. All were going to desert him. The Pharisees and the scribes who were supposedly those who knew the law hated him. They didn't. The world, the Romans, everybody hated him. Brother, it takes a lot of prayer to live your life in the midst of a, a group of people called the world, and they all hate you. And so there's another indicator of this, of this prayer life of Jesus, that he prayed, he prayed not only because he wanted to, but he prayed because he had to. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm the same way. I, I pray because I want to, pray because I'm commanded to, but I pray because I have to. Right? God, help me to be steadfast and immovable, Help me to stay, up to be about you and to stay with you. Devotion, not only in his life, but his devotion was to his prayer. And the devotion and his prayer aided him in his life. And so, we can't live life for God without being devoted to prayer. Prayer has to come first, right? Being devoted to prayer. God, help me to see what I need to see, even to see myself, right? Help me to see me. That's the greatest prayer, in my opinion. Help me to see me. You know that old, the old man that was was crucified? Don't let me forget. I mean, I don't want to think about that man, but don't let me forget that I wasn't a good guy, and neither were you. I know you feel, that may be a little offensive, but the Bible says it. Came from God, didn't come from me. Thank you, God. It helps me then when I realize and remember and reflect that I didn't, I didn't live a sinless life. So I owe God everything. And I owe you everything. God is good. The devotion of Jesus is, is coupled with the prayer life of Jesus. Let's stay in, in his prayer. Let's, let's skip all the way down to um, verse 20. He knew it was going to be difficult for us. And so he prayed for the whole world, prayed for all of us, right? Every Christian that would, would come to God until the end of time. In verse 20, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me. And I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected even in unity, 
that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee, and these have known that thou didst send me. And I have made thy name known to them, and will make it known that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them, and I in them. You know how we get excited to go, you know, it's like the NBA finals are going. Go home and go home and watch the finals. Or maybe maybe it's the Super Bowl is going on. Something exciting. You're going you're going to some some great place or something. Do I view heaven like that? That's where we're going, brethren, if we stay faithful. Right? Hope upon hope because of the blood of Jesus. And do I see that as my motivation every day? Say, oh boy, I, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm sad to say this, but I, I gotta admit, sometimes I, when, when someone, you know, ridicules me or does some bad things, I, I just say, well, I, I'll never see you again. It's okay, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. So I'm trying to go somewhere. And I, I don't with that kind of attitude. You can't come. I don't tell them that. In my own mind, I try. What can I do to help you to see the truth? Right? How how can I make this situation that isn't a good one? How can I turn it into a positive one? Right? Because I know where I'm trying to go. You know, it's like your your parents when you were younger, growing up, when they say, if you eat all of your greens, then you can have dessert. Somehow, some way, those greens turn into something that's really good. <laughs> you really want dessert. You can see the end game, right? Keep your mind focused on the end game, brothers. Right? Heaven. That's where we're that's where we're trying to get to. That's where we're going. We just stay with him and stick with it. And Jesus prayed so it was possible. He said, Father, I'm praying for them. Those who believe in me based on their word. And then he said somewhere in the book of John, Blessed are they that see me not and believe. That's us. Right? I mean, you guys are blessed, you know, Thomas and the apostles, but those who won't even see me, oh, how blessed they are. Realize the great blessing of God and the power of prayer that Jesus made in our behalf. The prayer that he made for us. His devotion to prayer was, was just so incredible. I want to go to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 in, in verse in verse 7. And I want to ask a, a question. It's not a challenging question, but, but maybe it, maybe it is. Remember Jesus? He went to the garden and he said, Father, uh, if it po- be possible, remove this cup from me. But not my will, but thine be done. And what was the Father's answer to him? Well, obviously, it, it had to be done, right? And he was praying and, and and he was asking the Father. In verse 7, Hebrews 5, says, In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying. So now I'm in the garden, I'm hearing it. Loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. 
What about that last part? Do you agree with that? He was in the garden. And he was praying. He was crying loudly to the Father with, with tears. Our Savior crying. Because he knew. Right? Not only, not only does he have to die for us, this is going to be excruciating. And I've got to deal with this in a, in a way that glorifies the Father. I cannot sin. While being reviled, I cannot revile in return. When they spit in my face, I cannot spit back. When they punch me and slap me and make fun of me, I cannot retaliate. When they give me a way out, I cannot take it. When Satan laughs in my face, I have to stay humble. And I'm crying to you, Father. If it's your will, take this away from me. And how many of us would agree with this verse when it says at the very end, he was heard because of his piety? Did the Father hear him? Did he, to him who was able to save him from death, did he hear him? Sometimes, brethren, we pray for things that we don't know we're praying for. Right? Sometimes in our struggle, in our suffering, we pray for things that we want, but we really don't want it. Like Jesus, he wanted to die for us. How do we know that? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus volunteered to come. Right? He came to do the Father's will. He wanted so desperately to do the Father's will. But what he did not want was to fail. Did God hear him? And we know the answer is what? Of course he heard him. In fact, if you remember reading Hebrews 12 in verse 2 when he got himself together, the Bible says he went to the cross with joy. Right? With joy for what was set before him. So look, we've got something that is so amazing, so incredible, and so mesmerizing and great. Part that we can see and the rest of it we cannot see. That tonight I want you to remember to pat yourself on the back. Not because you're doing something, you know, oh, I'm great. No, because you made the choice. You made the choice to be here. You made the choice to love God. You made the choice to be baptized into Christ. You made the choice to be faithful. You cried. You've prayed. And sometimes you wanted to give up, but you made the choice to stick with the Lord. And God has heard your prayer. And here we are today. Stay with God. Stay true. Stay faithful. When we come back, Lord willing, we're going to look at his devotion to his mission. Taking it yet one step further. Tonight, his devotion to the Father, his devotion to his prayer life. Thank you for your time. In a moment, we're going to have a devotional. 
If you need prayers or made on your behalf, uh, contact us if you're online. Uh, if you are here and you'd like the elders to pray with you or pray for you, uh, make it known to them if you would like to surrender to Christ in the waters of baptism. There's no better time than now. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Good evening, everyone. We'll be singing out of the Blue Books tonight, hymn number 717, before our devotional by our brother Scott Maston. 717. Please mark 8, 